Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Um, this is Terry Boyce. Sorry for the late mess. Um, I had a little bit of technical difficulties even before the storm hit Chicago, unfortunately. So welcome to the show. Um, we are connected. I wanted to... Um, just talk a little bit before we uh, actually bring our guests on, talk to our guests about a few things that occurred in Chicago uh, today. So let me real quick pull that up so we can talk about it. Um, today, Chicago actually made history, which is a good thing. Um, they passed a measure that removed provisions in the Chicago Human Rights Ordinance which requires individuals to show a government-issued ID upon request uh, when trying to access bathrooms and washrooms. So this was a measure that I think a lot of people were anxious to see occur and happy that it did in the land. So we might still seem to be having just a little bit of technical difficulties here. So give me a minute, everyone. Make sure that we are okay. You may hear dead air just for a few minutes. I am really not sure if you can hear me, but if you can, um, I'm going to actually try to reconnect um, to the show. So please bear with us. We'll be back in one moment. Hello, hello, hello. I am back. Technical difficulties hopefully are taken care of. So, again, welcome to Black Talk Radio, Can We Talk For Real? Uh, tonight's show, we are going to be honoring uh, our fallen brothers and sisters in from Orlando, but we're also going to be talking to you, the audience. Um, we'd like for you to talk back to us tonight, uh, not just regarding what happened to others, um, how it's affecting other families, but how's it affecting you? You know, what what has this done to you uh, emotionally? Uh, how has it changed? your views, what you're thinking, what you're doing, um, and how you're going about the day-to-day thinking of the prides that are about to start, you know, such as in Chicago. Um, So if you want to hold on one second, everybody, first let me do the disclaimer, and that is the views and opinions expressed on Can We Talk For Real Blog Talk Radio show co-hosts, guests, and calling listeners are solely those of the original source to express them. We at Can We Talk For Real do not condone... um, Disrespect to our guests, the show content, or to the host of the show. Professional counselors, uh, counselors. So if you do need a professional counselor, we do ask that you uh, reach out and um, 
contact someone. Tonight's guest, and this is a disclaimer for my guest tonight, she is talking to us on a general basis. She will not be giving you personal. Should you um, want to or need to actually um, speak with her offline, please let us know, and we will connect you. So I want to. Hey, Claudia, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Terry? I'm doing good, doing good. Thanks for joining me tonight. I appreciate it. I think. Oh, my pleasure. I think Ina might be joining us. Um, that's another co-host who might come back tonight to join us a little bit um, just to talk uh, about the uh, Orlando uh, shooting. But before uh, that occurs, um, we were we had talked before uh, offline about the city council's uh, ordinance today about the rulings that they made. So. I know you had some things you wanted to say about it. So let's go ahead and touch on that, and then we can go into the show. Oh, sure. Um, I was just going to say something while you were looking to pull it up, because I was looking at the ordinance, and I understand, from what I understand, um, you know, the transgender folks are covered under the human rights ordinance, but there's been this big loophole uh, that was closed today with this change in the ordinance. The loophole was that people were to go to the to the bathroom that fit uh, what I call their plumbing and uh, whether they felt they belonged in that bathroom or not. And uh, now today's ordinance removes that and people are able to go to the bathrooms that is, that is consistent with who they actually are. Perfect, perfect. Well, and I think we talked earlier, you know, about the fact of some big issues that people make big, big issues, I think can be smaller issues if they just use a little bit of common sense. Because there are usually three bathrooms well said. in most places. And if that's the case, you know, there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know, men, women, gender neutral. That's the third bathroom. I don't see what as a problem. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good answer in those situations where there are uh, three rooms available. Right. I, mean, I think that you know, and like we said before, the Central Hall stairs. It, it it's been that way since I can remember. It's been built. No incidents. You know, there's no issues. Um, and then you have, like you said, the family bathroom, where the husband, the wife, the child can go into. So, folks, mm-hmm. let's kind of like just think of the, the rationale thought of it is not that serious. Right. It's not, it's not, the, trans, it's not the trans folks that are going into the bathroom right. to harm somebody else or, or stare at somebody else or anything like that. But the people that are going to the bathroom to do that are predators, sexual predators. And that's not the trans folks. Trans folks are going to the bathroom for the typical reasons people go into the bathroom, to take care of bodily functions, to wash their hands, check their hair, do the, put their makeup on right. And that, that's what it's about. It's nothing about trying to impinge on other people's safety. But people get so upset about this issue. I, I remember once when I was, in, I was in a bathing suit and a woman sent her husband into the women's bathroom because, they thought, because she thought a male went into the women's bathroom. And, and it was yes, Nope, I don't identify as male at all. But uh, I know it. it I mean, it's so it's so hard sometimes on folks because you don't want to go into that bathroom that fits your plumbing, and there's risk of danger to you doing that. And uh, I, my office, I've had my office since 1990 downtown, and one of the things that I 
was really looked for and was sure that it had was that my floor had a gender neutral bathroom. And uh, I tell you, some folks that come to my office, they practically run to that bathroom because they've been waiting so long to find a safe place. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that that in itself, you know, is some issues we just make more than what they have to be, I think. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I'll tell you what, let's kind of um, talk a little bit about what the show is going to be about tonight. Um and that is we're going to honor 49 people in the LGBT community and allies who lost their lives um, due to, and I'm going to say, a, a hate crime. Because that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. It was a hate crime. No matter and if, the folks that no were shot that didn't lose their life. Right, right. And, and, you know, and I do understand the young lady that came on the um, the news, and she said that he said to them exactly what the reason was, was that as long as we bombed his country, he was going to, you know, do what he did. At the same time, there's a couple things you can look at. It's still a hate crime. You know, it still was against innocent people that had nothing to do with anything of what he was talking about. Because we didn't do the bombing. We didn't order it. And, And I think a lot of people, you know, sympathize with a lot of different social issues and people don't understand, you know, you are killing possibly the next person that might could cure AIDS. Mm -hmm. You're killing possibly the next doctor that could give us a cure for cancer. So so all of this hatred is is something that, you know, that really has a stop. But what we want to talk about, which is how people are dealing with, you know, what happened. But I want to talk a little first, and you to tell us a little bit about you, doctor. Oh, geez. Um, I'm, a licensed, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist here in Chicago. Um, I came out in 1974 in Michigan and realized I needed to move to a big city. So uh, I got I got here in '79 and have been here pretty much since, and happy happy to be in Chicago. And um, um, I've always worked within the LGBTQ community in, in a variety of in a variety of uh, functions. I've uh, worked with a lot with a lot of folks that are dealing with chemical dependency issues and helping them learn how to live clean and sober. I've worked with folks that have both chemical dependency issues and people who. Um, um, are also dealing with other sorts of mood disorders or personality disorders, so they call it the lingo for that is dual diagnosis. Uh, but in actuality, in, in our in our group, it's actually many times tri diagnosis because we have people that are you know dealing with dealing with and living with HIV. Um, back in the day before there were HIV medications, uh, I was one of the folks that uh, you know was helping families and helping people who were uh, dealing with HIV as a death sentence. So I, I have to say I'm so happy that it doesn't have to be that anymore. We've truly made progress on it. Uh, I, I taught one. I taught what we think is the first in the country um, doctoral level course on what we now would call culturally competent treatment for the LGBTQ community. Uh, back then, we said things more simply. It was just working with LGBT, lesbian and gay individuals. Uh, I co-taught that uh, for three years. Um, so. I I don't know how much more you wanted to know about me. Maybe more will come out as uh, as we're talking. 
So, where were you when you got the news? Well, I I had I I do kung fu, and uh, I uh, go out to uh, Plainfield to my kung fu teacher's house, and, and another friend of mine that does kung fu as well, who's also a part of our community. We drive together, and when she it was early in the morning, when she got to my house, she was like, "Did you hear? Did you hear?" And I'm like, no. So I'm trying, that's sad to say, but I was trying to find it on the phone, and she was trying to find more information on on the phone. And we that's we so she and I were together when we realized the, uh, uh, you know, the beginning information about so many people being killed and hurt. And I have to say, I was glad uh-huh. I was with you know another strong woman while we were thinking about this because it's just such a. Uh, uh, at first, it's hard to believe. It seems like kind of distant, and then. As as you begin to realize, oh my God, this really did happen. These folks who are much like me were killed or killed or hurt um, simply for who they are. Um, and I don't, I can't believe that there isn't some internalized homophobia, internalized heterosexism in the choice of where he went. There's a lot easier places to go to kill a whole bunch of folks. So I. I um, I can't imagine that homophobia or heterosexism, whatever way you like to define it, uh, wasn't a, wasn't a piece of that um, hatred for himself. Maybe something he was feeling that he couldn't cope with. Who knows? I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, then other friends started calling and uh, we started talking about it. And I realized I really needed to do something. And I don't know if you want to get into into that part right now or not. You know what? You can go ahead and talk about that. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trauma trained. I've been through a range of trauma classes. I work as a consulting psychologist for DCFS, and I work primarily with the LGBTQ youth. That We call them our rainbow kids because they get so many letters when it's DCFS, LGBTQ, body, 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 body. So we, we call them our rainbow kids, and they seem to like that. Um but anyway, I'm trauma trained, and one of the things I'm trained in is psychological first aid, and I just knew the importance of people having places to go to process, speak, talk, rant, cry, vent, whatever they needed. And so uh, I decided that I would, for three days, have office hours that I at downtown at my office where that I had, had it open for people to just come in. Of course, no charge to it. Um, and I had things ready for them. I had, you know, some food ready. Um, made the office nice and comfortable, extra Kleenex on hands. And um, I wanted to, you know, I'm not the kind of person who can, um, you know, organize a big rally or, or I'm not a performer who can help people laugh through their tears. And I, I don't have those skills. But what I can do is help people process trauma. And so that's how, what I did. And, and I, I have to say I was so um, touched because but besides putting it on Facebook for my friends and all this share, I put it on the Illinois Psychological Association's uh, web, ser- web uh, listserv. And a bunch of psychologists immediately said, oh, that's such a good idea. And they joined on and did the same thing in their practices. So that was touching for me. And I think even if people didn't choose to go to one of us to do some trauma work, um, that knowing that that is out there and that's another way people are caring because, um, you know, I wasn't, didn't go down to Orlando to some of the stuff that was there, but I sure felt good when I saw the huge response in Orlando. I love our response in Chicago. All that, even if I wasn't at a particular thing, 
helped me feel better and helped me feel safer. So I can't imagine I'm that unique in that. So you, with what you do now, is this mm-hmm. a path you had already always been on or was this something that happened as you got older? Um, and kind of like when did you know, yep, this is what I want to do and this is my calling? Um I knew I've always wanted. I was I was a feminist first, and um, I, can't, I remember back in high school reading a book that was like radical feminism, and I read it, and it just made so much sense to me. I'm like, oh my goodness, people call that radical feminism. It just seems like common sense to me. Um, and then as I as I came out of the lesbian and began to do more studying about lesbian issues, gay gay issues, I I realized that this was what I wanted. This is what I wanted to do. So um, my my schooling has always been been a part of um, learning how to be a better and better clinician to work within my community. Can I answer that question? I'm not sure. Oh, I think I lost you. In case you can hear me, um, but I can't hear you, I'm going to call back in again. I know you were. I know you were talking, and I just wasn't able to. Uh, wasn't able to hear you. Click over to just hear it. But, and I know you told us about. You know why? Mm-hmm. Well, what made you get into therapy? And mm-hmm. I think I've I definitely committed the fact that this you do it for the LGBT community. But I think you opened up your offices here in Chicago for anyone and everyone. Oh, of course. Of you know, it's not just it's not just us that's impacted by this. I don't. There's very few people that don't have an LGBTQ person in their family. Um, so I didn't want to say this is just for. Anybody who falls under the rainbow flag, I, I left it open for anybody who wanted to come in. So this is a major trauma. I mean, this is something, uh, you know, the worst shooting in the history of the United States. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect everyone, young and old, um, you know, gay, straight, bi, whatever you are, all the alphabet. But you've already experienced being able to help a, a big group with trauma. So That's tell us about that group, and then let's kind of get into what, you know, how might be a little different, then it might not, but you can explain that to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as I said, working within DCFS, we deal with a lot of trauma, and uh, so there's been efforts to make sure that people that work in DCFS, including the consulting psychologist, are trauma-trained. And one of the things that we learned was psychological first aid. And as we were going through the both our own training that we did ourselves and the prescribed training by DCFS, uh, there was a mass shooting at Northern Illinois University. And uh, DCFS offered to send uh, psychologists and social workers that uh, – Um, we're trauma trained to go help with that. And I was one of the people that went. So we were up there for three days, if I remember correctly, uh, talking with students, talking with um, 
I think there, there were a few parents around talking with staff. And, yeah, everybody was impacted by it. Everybody had a story to tell about where they were and what it felt like and who they knew that was even closer to it than they were. And um, it's in, trauma impacts the brain. Um, when a person experiences trauma, new dendritic connections are made within the brain that are then reinforced. And it's sort of like if you think of dendritic connections in the brain, uh, like ruts in a country road, um, when something gets close to that rut, like if you're, got, if you're driving down the road, you're going to more easily fall into that rut because it's already there, and then the tires just follow along on that track. And that's a piece of what happens um, when uh, we experience trauma that isn't necessarily even, you know, it didn't exactly happen to us, but it happened to people in our community. If we've had some previous trauma, it pops into those ruts, and if people... There's very few people in the LGBTQ community that haven't experienced some trauma, Um, but those trauma experiences are then reinforced. So you have impact from the old trauma experiences that you've had plus impact from your feelings about this horrific thing that happened to our brothers and sisters down in Orlando. And so it's important to help people process that trauma, talk about it, cry about it, dance about it, do art about it, um, whatever the individual needs to do to help, for lack of better words, get it out of their system. It's never out of your system, but the harsher impacts can be uh, re- can be reduced if you do trauma work, if you do psychological first aid. And so that's the, that's the reason why I really wanted to do something immediately. The sooner after the trauma that you do the work, the, the the easier it is to help somebody. Things don't get as far embedded. Um, people that people, you know, you're right. I think it's impacted. I can't imagine anybody in our community that it hasn't impacted on some level. Of course, everybody's different, but uh, some people have experienced um, um, feeling more fearful to go out into the world as an open LGBTQ person. Uh, some people have responded by feeling more angry. Um, you know, it's like we thought in some, some we sort of, we had, we were making some good progress and then this huge, horrible thing happened. And uh, um, some people, some people re- reconsider how they want to move through the world as an LGBTQ person. Do I wear this rainbow necklace? Do I uh, walk and grab my partner's hand? Um, do I go to the gay pride parade? I've seen, talked to folks that are um, going to stay away because they're more afraid. I've talked to folks that are, hell yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to make sure I go to this one. I don't even necessarily go every year, but I'm sure going to go to this one because we have to show that uh, we're here and we're still queer. So um, I don't know. I don't want to go on for too long without going back to you. It's okay. Um, so the fear, so the fear is okay. Fear is okay of not wanting to go. Um, but like in my case, I've had three people who have asked me not to go to the private space mm-hmm. based on what happened. You know, now the one thing I can say is that you know, yes, you can't live your life afraid. That's one thing. I understand mm-hmm. the the um the caution 
you know, the hope is that the city, you know, the government, everyone has, is taking all of the necessary steps to make sure that people are safe. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think that maybe all at this point anybody can really do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I was in some of the early gay pride parades in Chicago where we kind of assumed people were going to be shooting at us. You know, it was a, it was a real fear back then, so I've kind of already dealt with it. Um, so for me, I'm more in the group of, yeah, it's important to be at this one. But everybody has to do these things the way that makes sense to them. They may choose not to go to the gay pride parade, but they may choose to go to some of the vigils that have been going on, or they may choose to spend more time reaching out to friends that they hadn't spoken to for a long time. People make different decisions, and as long as they're finding that their world isn't becoming smaller, um, I think they're doing okay. If their world is becoming smaller, if they are too alert when they're walking, they're they're looking around and they're hyper alert, then... uh, or they stay inside because they're afraid too much and the world becomes smaller, that's that's when it becomes something that somebody may want to talk with somebody about. Have a lot of people um, kind of talked to you about this, this particular incident? Um, I, you know, being a psychologist, it's like not, not define a lot, uh, but, but so I can't, I can't, but sure. Yes, of course, yeah. pretty much everybody I'm speaking with. So I guess that is a lot, um, uh, has something to say about it. And, and I certainly bring it up. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, there's not, you know, the old six degrees of separation in our, in our community, it's more like three degrees of separation. I know two people who know people who at Pulse that night. So, um, you know, we're not, we're not, we're, we're more connected. I mean, there's a, there's a piece of us having been outliers for so many years and, you know, families have rejected many of us, um, that, that we bond together in a different way. And our, 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 LGBTQ spaces like our bars and our community centers and our LGBTQ friendly churches, all the kind of places that are uh, good for us are such an important part of having a place to go where we can be ourselves and relax and blow off some steam in the way that we want to blow off some steam and, and uh, kind of regroup to go back out there in the world and keep going. And that, that home ground, you know, some people are calling it sacred ground, um, has has been horribly violated. That's a big deal for us. That's true. That's true. So within the community, do you feel a more um, that it'll be more binding to where that our separation will become closer? Because in our community, there is a separation, even mm-hmm. within our DLGBTQ. Um, but mm-hmm. do you think this this event will even bring us closer? I sure hope so. Um, it certainly has the opportunity to, and it certainly has been looking that way for us. Um, people always try to make separations. Um, I heard a I heard a, a chef talk about, yeah, the, the front of the house doesn't like the back of the house, and the back of the house doesn't like the front of the house. I mean, people are always trying trying to make separations. Um, I think the challenge is is to realize that, yeah, there's differences, and there's ways we get along and ways we don't get along, but we are all part of this. Rainbow community, for lack of better words. 
This is so true. I like the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thanks. okay, so now before, um, with your trauma experience, um, mm-hmm. you actually worked with dogs, with dogs before. Um, mm-hmm. What's yeah, that so, like? No, sure, ahead. I can talk about that. Um, I was so happy to see in some of the things that I've seen on TV about Orlando to see that they had the uh, tr- the the healing the healing dogs. I'm sorry, I'm losing the name of what they're called, but they're dogs that they bring out that are trained to be around people that have experienced tough stuff, and they're trained to be there and let the, let strangers come up and and touch them and hug them and cry around them. And they had I saw those dogs at Orlando on the TV, and I was lucky to get to work with some of the, the trauma-trained dogs uh, when I was up at NIU, and I was so impressed with how much it helped. Um, sometimes people are hesitant to get started talking. They feel like whatever, they, what they have to say isn't important enough. There's people that have been through more. They're hesitant about taking up somebody's time. I mean, there's a, a lot of reasons why people are afraid to bring up, to start conversation. The people that have the dogs uh, aren't allowed to engage in a therapeutic interaction with folks. They can basically just stand there with a the dog and let, let people interact with the dog the way that they want to. But um, since it was my job to do that, uh, I would go and I'd go sit by a trauma dog and um, people would, somebody would come up and start playing with the trauma dog or hugging it or whatever. And then I would, while they were engaged like that, I was able to then start a conversation with them and they were much more willing to talk about uh, their own the, the, you know what had happened through their own lens and how it's impacted them. So I'm, I was so happy to see those dogs out in force down in Orlando. Nice, nice. And for the people here, because uh, we've had a lot of visuals, because as a matter of fact, I just want to take my hat off, there should be one, I think it should still be going on in Humboldt Park um, for, for for our victims. You know, and actually, I think it's not just for the victims, the survivors, the families. I think it's just for each person. Um, it, it's something that, that that's needed because mm-hmm. you know, we lost you know, we lost quite a few people. And mm-hmm. before we go on, I, I sure just want to I just want to name a couple people. Um, you know, like Eric Riviera, you know, Peter Cruz, uh, Kimberly Morris, um, Eddie Justice, Daryl Burt, um, Anthony Deliso. Uh, Jean Perez, Frankie Valquez, Amanda Avere. Those are just a few of the people, you know, that won't be with us at the Pride Parade. Uh, you know, they won't be telling the stories, you know, that you know of, of their lives, you know, later on because uh, it was taken. Now, family members. And well, before we go to family members, there is one topic I do want to hit on, and that is first responders. But I want to go one step before them. What about the people, the trauma of the people that were inside still when this was occurring, that one either got out or that was injured and, you know, and had to be carried out but still was in the midst of everything that was going on? You know, is there a different type of trauma that we can talk about? Or? You know, we talk about severity of trauma. Um, and I was so happy to see that the community center, the LGBTQ community center, center down in Orlando was open and that they had tons of therapists in there to talk with folks. And uh, 
Oh, who was it? I talked to when I was at an LGBTQ meeting at DCF yesterday. I talked to the woman who was saying that, yeah, her friend and her friend's girlfriend were real active in in trying to talk with people. Um, it's going to take them. They, they, their lives have changed. It's not going to be the same anymore. Uh, how a person moves forward from having gone through an experience like that is the key. Um, to for, I mean, ideally they'll they'll grieve and they'll feel their pain, and they'll put it in perspectives and find ways to uh, to carry on. I think one of the things that was going around on the Internet was uh, Holly Near has a song, um, It Could Have Been Me, But Instead It Was You, and she made a new verse of that for what happened in Orlando. And one of the lines in the song is, I'll, I'll carry on doing the work of two. Um, you know, some people are going to respond to it that way. Uh-huh. Now, let's move to the first responder. Mm-hmm. Um, I know 9-11, people talked about the impact that that had, and, and that was devastating. Um, but this just seemed to, 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 to be a little more intimate of, of, a, of a disaster, you know, a tragedy, should I say. Um, and I mm-hmm. think maybe because of how it happened, where it happened, how everyone was just kind of confined in this area, and it just seemed that, like you said, the separation is so small that people all over know somebody know somebody that was involved. Mm-hmm. When the first responders well, came, you know, they, they had a report about that. Um how do you how do you talk to them? You know what what is it that they possibly and I know every like you said with the degree of of the severity of the of the trauma determines you know probably how you talk to people or how you, you treat them or or what you use. But going from being inside to being a first responder, what what is that kind of like looking like? Well, first responders and people that are responding even further down the line are at risk for what. Our terminology is vicarious trauma, um, and if if the, the the people that are responding are fortunate, they've been trained uh, about. The way I express it to my students is that you have to build a semi permeable barrier, sort of like Swiss cheese, that enough gets in that you keep empathy and you you don't turn into a machine, although in that moment you may need to turn into just doing my job, can't think about anything, have to deal with the next thing that's right in front of me. I have to stop this bleeding. I have to get this person to the hospital, uh, whatever it might be. Um, But we're trained to let enough in to keep our empathy, but not so much that we're overwhelmed by it. I I think events of this magnitude, it's hard to keep that semi-permeable barrier up. It just kind of comes crashing down. Um, unless you've dealt with it before. If you've dealt with it before, you, you're you better at going at into it the next time, hopefully. Um, so if one, it's a matter of being okay that you're impacted by it, that there's not something wrong with you professionally, that uh, you are having, a, having an emotional reaction that may last beyond the uh, time that you're actually involved responding to the crisis so you didn't fail as a professional by having uh, by by having these feelings and the other piece of it is to not be um, you know ashamed of reaching out for help uh, to me that'd be as silly as 
having a broken arm and not going not going to the doctor. I I need to be strong enough to deal with this on my own. It just has to heal by itself. It's like, well, it could happen, but it's more likely to have heal crooked. Why don't you go to somebody who can help it heal more in the way that it's supposed to be? See how I avoided the word straight? <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, and I like like I just did right now. We're talking about heavy, right? So I backed off and did a little bit of humor because you have to leaven your work with folks. Um, with helping people with trauma, um, I one therapist described it so eloquently: is you're you're draining a swamp with a straw, and if you go at it faster than the straw the person gets overwhelmed and you're actually doing harm, you're re-traumatizing them. So in helping people that have experienced trauma directly or vicarious trauma, um, you have to, you have to watch the person that you're working with and you can tell when they begin to get too engaged in it, when instead of just dipping their foot into it to deal with some of the emotion, they've fallen into the swamp again. And it's our job to catch them, to catch that that's happening and back away a little bit, make the conversation a little bit lighter, help recenter them to realize that they're actually in a safe space right now. You know, breathe, notice the chair you're in, notice that you're in a safe space around somebody who cares deeply for you. Um, those kinds of things to get them recentered in the current moment. Okay. Now, I, I guess my concern, you know, after watching and, and, and thinking and, you know, we all relive the time. People at the hospital, I don't even know what I would think their mental, you know, they they worked. Um, you know, people kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, mm. kept coming. How strenuous could that be on the mental of anyone? Mm-hmm. Well, it has to have it has to have an impact to help them deal with that. They've had drills, they've had trains, they've had mass disaster drills where they have people coming in, you know, all set up so they look like they've been mangled and such, um, so that they've had at least some idea of what it's like to be in the middle of the maelstrom um, and work and continuing to do their job. I don't, I mean, nobody's ever going to be able to be 100% ready for something like that, and I, I I hope that they're having things for the professionals so that they can be amongst each other talking about how it impacted them because sometimes the ways people that professionals have to talk about it, it can hurt other people more when they're talking about what they may have had to done, what they may have had to do medically to try to save that person's life. Mm-hmm. If a person's not exposed mm-hmm. to what medical treatment is like, they might hurt that other person in the group. So I hope that they have groups for for the medical providers, the the police, the um, ambulance drivers every, to be able to speak about it in the details that they need to speak about it without worrying about trauma, you know, traumatizing other people. Right, right. And I think that um, I guess that was my concern because they had said prior to I don't want, I don't want, I don't know if it was months or weeks or they had just had a drill. Wow. And this occurred, you know. So and like you said, it's one thing to have that drill. But it's something else to be actually you know, to be live. Mm-hmm. You know, so as we go, you know, through, we definitely need to keep them in our prayers. Yes, because they they experienced a lot that night. Mm-hmm. They sure did. 
You know, my hope is they learn some centering techniques about reminding themselves, okay, all this is horrible, but I'm okay. None of this blood is mine. Um, These cries I'm hearing aren't mine. Uh, I will go cry later, or they may be crying while they're working, um, but to remind themselves that they're okay. Sometimes little things like that can go a long way towards helping a person be able to kind of hang together and keep doing their job. Definitely, definitely. So, I know in our we talked a little earlier. You talked a little earlier about you know there'll be people that will go to pride parade. There'll be people who you know are real hesitant about um, being being gay. You know, being able to be freely gay. Mm-hmm. Without this incident happening, do you think that? that was a real major issue before right now? Why a lot of people are still in the closet, maybe? Oh. You know, there's so many things that keep us in the closet. You know, internalized heterosexism, internalized homophobia, fear of loss of people that we love, uh, fear of condemnation, fear of physical abuse, fear of rape. Uh, There's so many things that keep us in the closet. Uh, Coming out is a very brave act, um, and it's not saying that people that decide to stay in the closet aren't brave. Everybody's got their own motivations for things, but I, I think this gets you know people to have to kind of reconsider. Okay, why am I out? Well, I'm out. You know, one answer might be I'm out because no matter what happens to me when I'm out, it's not as bad as trying to live a lie. You know, some people may come may come back to that answer. Um, some people may say, you know what, I'm a lot older than I used to be. I don't have the ability to run like I did. I don't have the ability to push through crowds like I did. Um, I'm going to need to back up a little bit, or I'm going to need to find other things to participate in that feel like if something bad happens, I'm going to have the ability to get away from it. Um, You know, Thousand Waves is having self-defense classes uh, for LGBTQ folks. And uh, I know they were offering it, I think, last weekend, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to offer it again real soon. And those are free or low cost. So knowing that you're trained to, to keep, to look to, to look at, at a distance and see, okay, that person's acting a little squirrely, and I'm far enough away from them, is there something I need to do to see if I need to bring somebody to this situation? And then how do you deal with it when it's a little closer? And then if you actually have to, lay hands on somebody, how do you deal with it? Or if you actually have to take cover, how do you think about that? You know, the, you know, the basic thing of if you can get away, get away. If you can't get away, hide. If you can't hide, fight. Okay. So we always talk about, we always bring up a certain group uh, on the show uh, because a lot of times this group is kind of looked over a group that's younger generation for them mm-hmm. do you I mean because I know most young people think they're invisible that's just the, the beast of being that age um, mm-hmm. you know you're young you know you could do things but many of the ones killed were in that young age mm-hmm. so the impact on them in that age bracket compared to the impact of the older, um, 
LGBT community. And it's funny because a lot, I think a lot of the people who are uh, putting the visuals together in most parts are the older. Uh, the younger ones, you know, joining in, but I think they're kind of taking that lead. Is that something that um, psychologically, you know, it, it's kind of the way that we reach back to tell them, you know, it's okay, you know, we're here? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. I think that's, you know, one more thing that can bring our community together. Sometimes there's ageism in our community um, heading in both directions. Um, this is one way that we that we can come together and be a family of choice. Uh, and with everybody doing what they each individually are good at to help our community get through this. For the young folks, yeah, I mean, it's the... You know, it's the first time for a lot of them that uh, they've experienced, you know, you know, when I was growing up, Anita Bryant was blowing up, or not Anita Bryant herself, but the, but the anti-gay activists were blowing up gay activists' car. People were shooting at us. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, so younger folks may not have experienced it quite the same way. But then, on the other hand, you know, trans folks are getting murdered every day, and, and other trans folks know, not every day, but, you know, very often, and other trans folks know the dangers of being trans, and that's our young our young trans folks are experiencing that. So it's hard to make generalizations versus young and old. I guess the only generation I only only a generalization I could make about that would be that yeah, for some folks this is probably the closest to home anything like this has ever happened. Okay. Wow. So here in Chicago, we're getting prepared for the Chicago Pride. Uh, parade. I know you've heard the, you know, um, at the Commander Eddie Johnson, you know, on TV with the different um, community leaders, you know, talking about the safety. Uh, Wendy Sydney Times released the um, the route today. Well, actually, the the numbers and the floats and and the people who are going to be attending. Do you think not in Chicago, possibly, but? What's the odds of mentally copycats? Um, you, know, you know, now that people are seeing the the togetherness, the un, the unity that, that's being built, um, do you see that lasting longer, or do you see where you know there's a possibility that that might be jarred soon to the reality of oh yeah wait wait a minute they still gay though. Hmm. I don't know the answer to that. What I can, you know, it's not my area of knowledge, so I don't want to, you know, speak and say the wrong thing. But what, what, what I can say is, I think the availability of you know, weapons of war. You know, it's 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 one thing for somebody to go in with a six-shot handgun, and somebody going in with an AK-47 or something similar to that. Um, people can do so much more harm, so much more quickly. So. Um, Odds of it happening of it happening again. I mean, the best predictor of future is past. So, of course, this is mm-hmm. going to keep happening in our country, not just for us LGBTQ folks, but in all the other places where it's happened. We have to, you know, be be willing to be, have the have the have our legislators have to have the courage to stop the easy access to these weapons. And is that going to solve the whole problem? Of course not. There's no one thing that's going to solve the whole problem. But just like in our community, okay, 
I can do this part. Somebody else can do this part. Somebody else can do this part. And we help our community heal. Same thing that ban assault weapons would be one thing that can be done to lower the risk of it happening. Okay. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask you this question only because um, you are in the mental field. Um, but there's always thank you for saying thank you for not saying that I'm mental. <laughs> no problem, no problem. <laughs> uh, but there's always been that fight with the NRA with the type of weapons. The uh, you know I want to say the Fourth Amendment may not be right, but the amendment about you know to bear arms. The um, you know the fact that people are like well you know guns, but guns don't pull the trigger. Um, mm-hmm. That's one thing. But when, you know, you talk about if you're a terrorist, right now you're talking about the terrorists. If you're a terrorist, you know, if you're suspected, is there anything from um, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the, 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 um, the, the mental association, you know, whatever, is there anything that comes from you guys' conferences that say, you know, let us step in and say, if someone has a history of maybe mental imbalance, or that should be a red flag, too, as to not be able to get a, a weapon. Well, we actually do have some rules about that. Um, if a person's been in a psychiatric facility, they're not supposed to be able to access a gun, but the reporting process and the knowledge that people have reported it is, is leaky, to put it mildly. Um, so there already are some things in, in place. But do I personally believe that anybody who's been in a psychiatric hospital shouldn't have access to a gun? No, I don't personally believe that. Um, so, and I guess I asked that too because it it just seems to be the norm whenever you you, you talk to family members or talk to someone about someone who you know shot up someplace or stabbed someplace or ran people. Over. Well, you know they always had a slight history of, of mental. Uh, this or it's like okay, so they got a gun. How? Or they were able to do this? Or do this? How? Mm-hmm. So is that yeah. something that the that the people should be should be you know calling their, their <laughs> legislatures about? Look, you know, because I know sometimes, like you said, everybody needs to play their part. Mm-hmm. So is that the part we play? Is there anything we can do? You know, as a people. Um, after yeah, quit making, it, quit making it be something wrong, something bad that you're dealing with psychological distress. I mean, if a, it, it, you know, if a person is dealing with depression or if a person is dealing with anxiousness that leads to rage, um, if, if there wasn't such a stigma of reaching out for help, if people didn't go, ooh, you crazy, um, if people <laughs> if the response... <laughs> If instead the response was, "Wow, that's so cool! I'm so proud of you for you know facing this stuff you know head on. It takes courage. You know, more of a, a supportive response from our from our family members, from our communities. Um, yes, that would make a difference. And I, I, there are there's so many there's there are psychologists, there are social workers that are working on these issues of what to do about gun control, what to do about weapon, you know, mass, weapons of mass construction, uh, destruction, what to do about how to keep people that are 
showing high risk of possibility of violence from having easy access to guns. That's just not my my area, so I don't know that. Um, people could look at the American Psychological Association website and do a search. They'd probably find uh, quite a bit of information about it. And then um, I did get a question, so I do want to uh, read this question to you. So if after um, this event it rekindled memories, of um, different traumas that you've been through, is it feasible to say that you know just talking to your friends or just going to a visual uh, would be the way, or is there something more intense a person needs to do? That's a question. Um, I, my first response is yes. Please reach out to somebody who's trained to deal with trauma who's LGBTQ competent. Um, There's ways that we can speak with you, that we can create a safe space for you to speak, that we can guide you through healing from the trauma, uh, be a witness to you healing from your trauma that that you can't really get in in a general conversation with a friend. One nice thing about the therapeutic relationship is all about you. You know, you don't, it's not, you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking up too much of my friend's time. I didn't get to hear about what happened with them with blah, blah, blah. Um, the whole hour or however long you're there is totally wrapped around you. Um, and there's having that space to stumble through thinking about something, to, to take your time to wind your way through, to see how it connects to previous traumas in your life is invaluable. Um, if you find if people find that they're having more difficulty sleeping, if people find that they're being hypervigilant, if people find that their thinking is more, I'm trying to use a different word other than obsessive, but focused harsh on one, more than usual on one particular topic, um, if they find that they can't stop crying, um, you know, crying for a while, of course, we need to cry to heal. But if it, if they find they can't stop crying or they stop and then or they find they're not able to concentrate at work, problems with concentration, then, yes, please, of course, go to the vigils. Of course, talk with your friends, but also add into that. Seek professional help. So hopefully with that question, uh, if they uh, if you need, just go ahead and inbox us. And we will definitely uh, pass your information on. Um, so for guidance, if nothing else, um, like we said at the top of the show, uh, this is not to uh, give you a session. It's actually to to, to actually talk it out. Um, but you know, thank you for that question. If you okay, so you've been involved on the, on the the side of helping uh, when it comes to trauma. Have you ever been involved or been around when a situation like this, maybe not this devastating, but something like this has happened? Huh, um, well, two questions. You know, it's, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges. Well, I guess my question to you, I guess I said, I want to say it this way. Have you been involved and on what side? I mean, I know on the, the side where you opened up your office, but have you ever been that person that just jumped into become a first responder? 
Oh, uh, being a first responder. No, the closest I've come was going up to NIU, and we got there a day after it happened. So uh, we weren't a first responder. The people who were injured were already gone. Um, things had been kind of cleaned up, shall we say. Um, so, no, that's the closest I've gotten to being a first responder. I did work in, I did work in the uh, Loretto Hospital's emergency room uh, as the uh, – what did they call us back then? I don't know. We were, we were in there to try to help the people <laughs> right away. So I, 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 did, uh, I did work with some folks immediately after some tough stuff happened to them. Um, that's very short-term work when you're in the, when you're in the emergency room. Um, it's it's more talking with the person, seeing what level of distress, what level of distress they're in, what symptoms they're having, and and what's the next thing to help them heal. It's sort of a way a way station in it in a way. Okay. And I know we you know the comment earlier was like people do people are quick to say you know. Uh, you got you got to be crazy, uh, and and that's not the case. But I don't think it hurt anyone to talk to someone. I think that would be a benefit, probably for at least ninety nine point nine point nine point nine 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 percent of the country of the world. <laughs> I hear you. Here's my way of explaining to the folks is. You know, we've psychologists used to only be around for there's so used to be so many so much less of us, right? So it was we were only around for the people with really severe things going on with them. Um, you know, for people with psychosis, for people that couldn't function outside of a mental hospital, because back then people stayed in hospitals a lot longer than they do now. Now there's a psychologist for everybody and their goldfish. Uh, so we've we've kind of replaced the aunt that you used to go down and have a cup of tea with and do that, you know, several times a week to talk about what's going on with you. We've we replaced the, you know, we, we've in some ways taken that role in the society that's a little, little more fractured. Uh, like so you don't that. have to be, okay. you don't have to be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs to come see us. Okay. <laughs> so you just maybe just need to talk. <laughs> Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> so you have done a lot. Um, I know on Facebook we, you know, briefly talked about uh your background. And mm-hmm. but you have done a lot in the LGBT community. From That's where my heart you know, is. working with yeah, well I mean, you've worked with people, you know, with mood disorders, uh, people with HIV, uh, dependency treatment, chemical dependency treatment. But you've also worked with in the um, within the um, well, within the facilities themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I worked in inpatient facilities. We had the first uh, dual diagnosis program for LGBTQ folks in the country. People came from all over the country to uh, seek treatment with us. We were at Chicago Lakeshore Hospital, and that's now been replaced with the Vallejo program. So, yeah, inpatient, outpatient, um, residential treatment, you know, longer-term treatment for chemical dependency. And back when I started working in chemical dependency, this is showing you how old I am. The standard of care was two years of treatment. 
uh, where you spent a certain amount of time in intensive treatment and then you moved into a halfway house and then you moved into a three-quarter, you're, you're slowly reintegrated into society. So, so yeah, I've, I've been really fortunate. I had, I had a sober living house, not just myself, of course, uh, called Living with Pride for LGBTQ folks to have a place to live when they're transitioning out of the hospital to live with other people who really value being sober and clean. And to help get the, you know, it was a, it was such a cool place. Everybody helped each other. I mean, we had our if people had disagreements. Of course, humans are going to have disagreements. But when push came to shove, everybody was right there for somebody when they were having difficulties. Ah, uh-huh. okay. okay, okay. And so, you're moving into another area. Oh yes, right, right now you. <laughs> right, so. Tell us about that, because I've never heard of that, never really. So it's interesting. The title is interesting. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, in, in Illinois, we're, the, the law changed a year or so ago, allowing psychologists to go, to go through postdoctoral training to become a prescribing psychologist. So they call us prescribing psychologists here in Illinois. So you know, so far the first group of people have just finished their classroom work and are moving on to their rotations uh, in the hospital. But uh, I, yeah, I joined. I've been in the program for a year now to become a prescribing psychologist. Um, I've, it's something I've always been interested in the psychotropic medications. Uh, you know, I came in thinking they're bad. They're all bad. There's nothing good about them, and then. I got more educated and I saw how psychotropic medications can help a person be a, I think of it as a bell-shaped curve where our our healthy range of emotions is that big part of the bell-shaped curve and then there's these emotions that are caused in part by chemical imbalances that are kind of the tails of the bell-shaped curve and the medicines can help get rid of those tails so people can be more in their in their uh, full range of healthy emotion and when you get them with the right medicines on board a person's more available for therapy for being able to make changes in their life does that help uh-huh. explain it well yeah i mean it was just the, the title psycho prescribing psychologist prescribing psychologist Okay, so what's that P S Y C H O P H A R M A C O L O G Y? <laughs> that was the big word. Oh, psychopharmacology. There you go. That was the word. Because when you first put it down, I, I didn't see the last part before it came up, and I was like, "What is that?" I said, "That's people here like like so episodes or you know, yeah, wanted to know about that one." <laughs> well, psychopharmacology is what I was what I was, is what I was talking about was the appropriate use of psychotropic meds to help people to help get people to a healthier place where they can then uh, respond better and use better other forms of treatment. You know, I talk with folks about like let's say bipolar disorder. Um, it's something you're going to have for a long time, maybe all your life. Um, so, if, but if you take if you take the medicines and do the work to be able to understand, uh, oh, I'm getting, this is more than just feeling sad or feeling blue. 
I'm moving into that tail, that danger zone of actual depression. And we all know actual depression can kill. Um, you know, conversely, on the other hand, I'm happy, I'm joyous, I'm free is a whole lot different from I'm running down the street naked and throwing my money at people um, to help people recognize when they're going from a good mood to I'm moving over into mania. Okay. Okay. So let's move back real quick over to the Orlando um, situation. And I, there are two stories that stood out for me. Um, one was the mother that you saw that cried. Mm-hmm. She said her son's boyfriend had gotten killed, and she couldn't find a boyfriend. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I asked someone because I, I I didn't keep up the story after that. But I think they both had died, and she was going to bury them together. Mm-hmm. Um, the second story was the mother who put her life on the line for her son. So now you have a mother who is going to bury, you know, her son with her son's uh, boyfriend lover, and then you mm-hmm. have a mother who actually gave her life for her son. Mm-hmm. Those are two strong statements because you have so many, and I think you said earlier on the show, you have so many people who have turned family members who have turned their backs, even mothers. Mm-hmm. But to make a decision, you know, to one, put your life on line for your son who, quote, unquote, is gay, um, or mm-hmm. to even, you know, have the the mental um, strength to, to say, you know, I'm going to bury them together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all, all the work that we've done throughout the years is helping people realize love is love. You know, having having gay marriage be the law of the land is all these things have helped people see, oh, LGBTQ folks aren't the other. We share many commonalities. We love, we cry, we get scared about things. Um, We've been, for lack of better words, humanized uh, to the heterosexual communities much more than we were in the past. And so that leaves room for moms to step in front of a gun to save their gay child. That leaves room for moms to say, these men loved each other. They have to be buried together. I can't imagine when I passed to not be able to be buried next to the person I love. Right. That that was... Uh... But looking over all the, um, you know, the different vigils and, you know, we also had this conversation and the people who were um who were putting it together. I think a lot of folks were pleasantly, you know, pleasantly surprised um with the fact of the different churches of our mm-hmm. religion, you know, doing uh vigils, uh the different communities that uh most times people are like, oh, well, you know, we you know, we, we, we know y'all there but you know, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that I know it was uh, a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I think that was something that you know, it not only shocked people, but I think it made people realize that you know, uh, yep, everybody's human. Everybody bleeds. 
You know, if everybody passes, you know. But wow. So, mm-hmm. what would you say to some to a to a victim at this point? To a to a victim, somebody that survives the shooting who is actually there. First, I'd want to if they if they were of the nature to accept it, I'd want to wrap my arms around them and say, I'm so sorry for what you what you what you've been through. Um, that's just kind of my my personal reaction. Um, and then I'd say, please keep talking about it. Please get help. Please don't think you have to be you have to shut up about this just because some time's gone on and the world has moved on to something else. Your experience is going to take some time to get to work through and to be able to come out the other side changed but strong. Wow. Okay. Okay. So we are actually about to be joined <clears throat> by someone that um we both know. Um and actually we, we talked a little bit about her. Um and uh wanna you know, kinda welcome Tracy Bain to the show. Hello. <laughs> hey Tracy. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I just got back from our 30 Under 30 Awards. So uh, it was a wonderful night of honoring amazing youth. Nice. You have been busy. Busy, 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 busy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) From putting together, talking to people about the vigils, about the safety for this weekend, or actually this whole week, um, to the 30s, the under 30s, to um, even – wasn't it the, the Hall of Fame? Um, I didn't make it to the Hall of Fame, week? but there were a whole bunch of different oh. events this week, and then coming up, there'll be a bunch of the next three or four days as well. Yeah. So you you you, you what you you got um you got energy pills, Tracy, that you are taking because I'm <laughs> like I said, she is everywhere. Well, I just I'm very motivated by uh, our community. I, I think even though there's lots of negatives, there's amazing positives in our community for sure. Today was definitely a positive mm-hmm. with the yeah. with the city uh, council. I, I think that was a great move. Uh, you know, definitely positive for the community. Yeah, but we want to yeah, kind of you know you are that very interesting work that both behind the scenes and and uh, in public as well. Mm-hmm. And I commend everybody, definitely everybody that worked on that. I think they worked hard. Actually, everything for the last year, few years, uh, actually go back 10, 15, 20 years, people who have put blood, sweat, and tears into making things happen and are able to see it today, you know, I'm I'm happy for that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, they've worked hard. But, you know, me and Claudia was talking about trauma. You know, and the effect that it has had on the community and our allies, you know, family, friends, you know, people overseas here, because like we said, we're three, probably three degrees separation from each other. But on the media side, you know, talking to you, um, tell us a little bit about what you thought, what you felt, what, you know, with the Orlando situation. You know, I, almost every time I've, covered these kinds of things in our community. Um, And I would have to even say when I lost my mother and my stepfather, um, I have always gone back to kind of my, my 
work is my balm, I guess would be my the way I would say it, in that um, writing my mother's obituary got me through the immediacy, the immediate horror of having lost her at age, her age 63 and my age, I think I was 34. Um, and I think it's in part because when I first started covering the community in 1984, I also just, that was when Chicago had fewer than a hundred AIDS cases. And, and every week I was covering new information and, and horrible stuff happening at the same time. I mentioned this in my editorial last week. I also was covering serial killers targeting the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't covering death. None of them being the same, meaning every every AIDS is different than serial killers is different than this Orlando situation. But as soon as I woke up that morning and, and heard the news, I immediately went into finding out information, as much information as possible, and communicating that out through our newspaper and social media. And, um, and that, to me, is it gives me focus and um, a purpose in dealing with crisis um, that a poet might have by writing a poem or a musician by writing a song. Um, and, and so that's how I would say that I, that my personal response was, but my kind of community level response was that this was certainly one of the most horrific things our community had um, in the 31 years I've been covering it. And of all time, it's the, certainly the worst mass death of, of openly LGBT people um, in a specific targeted way. Obviously, a lot of LGBT people have died in wars and died in 9-11 and other crises, but this was a very targeted attempt, especially attacking Latino and Latina Americans, um, that, you know, it was it's hugely traumatic. And being at the event tonight for the 30 Under 30 Awards, the majority of the honorees tonight were also Latino and African-American and and people of color in general. And so many of them said that, you know, said said how traumatic that event was for them to know that people who were their age or younger even um, were targeted for something like that for their generation, for this generation of LGBTQ people. It really, it really is going to be a formative, something they will never forget. And, and some of them will, um, it will make them sad and others, it will empower them to, to build a stronger community. So it was a pe- the people tonight were very resilient parts of our community, some of the most accomplished young people in our community, and, and they saw this as a call to arms um, to fight literally, you know, for their lives and to make sure that their voices are not erased. Tonight. So, you like you said, you have covered a lot. Um Pride's coming up, and I know a lot of people are either reluctant or there are going to be people who are going to be like, you know what, I'm going no matter what. Um, I know you'll be covering it. (laughs) Your people will be covering it. Did Did you ever hesitate to say that, you know, no one's going or I'm not going or I'm not going to participate um, or or did you say this is not something that's going to uh, define who I am? Well, for myself personally, I would never, ever make a choice not to go to something out of fear, but I definitely understand and respect if, for example, one of my team members said they didn't want to, and nobody has, but I absolutely would not um, deny them that, that reality of 
of their experience with with uh, trauma. You know, I I deal with trauma in one way, and uh, it's not the right way. It's just my way. So I can respect that for my team, but I haven't had anybody say that. Um, for the community, I have definitely – the only people I've heard that have outwardly said it are people that have children, um, and they want – that is their first priority is the safety of their children, and I 100% respect that. And But I know that there are other families that are uh, bringing their children. But So for general individual people, I'm sure there will be people who make that decision I don't know if they're making that in a public way, and I respect that. Most of the people I've right. heard from are the people that are proactively and very publicly saying, I'm going, I'm going. And Stacey Ann Chin, one of the vigils in Chicago, because she's in town for Motherstruck, mm-hmm. please go, all listeners in this uh, Chicago area, you must go see Stacey Ann Chin's Motherstruck play at Greenhouse Theater on Lincoln Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stacey Ann <laughs> <it> was <laughs> one of the... I consider Stacey Ann the poet laureate of the LGBT community. Um, she performed at Gay Games ten years ago uh, this summer, mm-hmm. and um, she she was she's because she's in town for her play. She did a performance at uh, as part of a vigil at the center in Halstead the day after the shootings, and um, it's a powerful piece. We have it linked on our Windy City Times YouTube channel if anybody wants to see it. But there was one point in it that really resonated, I think, for a lot of the people in the audience, which was a lot of older, kind of probably cynical, jaded LGBT people who don't go to Pride as much anymore because, oh, that's so last year kind of thing. And she just nailed it. She said, you know, for all those people who say I'm over it or I've done that, I don't need to do it, I don't like crowds, this is the year to show up, to show that we're not afraid. Um, so I think there will definitely be people who will take the opposite approach and say, you know what, I haven't been to Pride in five or ten years. I'm going this year um, because I don't want to. I don't want to show any uh, that our community is not unified. So it, it'll be a range of responses, and I really, I 100% say that there's no one right way to respond to this incident, um, and especially for Latino and Latina people out there, there's another level of trauma that I, as a white person, certainly can't. Um, under, I can't specifically relate to just as a straight person wouldn't have a hundred percent relation to what I would experience on the murder of someone like me. So um, we have to just respect that everybody's responding to this in different ways. Okay. So, and and you just made a statement. So I do want to I do want to ask this question, uh, and I'm glad I got both of you on the phone. Read a a post. From someone, and it our community is separated in so many ways. Um, you know, it's separated, you know, by class, you know, by by race, uh, just by LGBTQ, you know, every every which way. Um, in this in this this event, the majority of the people that were murdered were Latino. But we had a rainbow of people that were killed, and if I'm not mistaken, I think one either the bar one of the bartenders or bouncer, one of them uh, was a white lady. Mm-hmm. We had a, a mother, you know. We had yeah. uh, a couple, a, a young lady who had just graduated from high school who was, who was African American. Right. So that self should bring the inner workings of our community together. Because just as we are a rainbow, it was a rainbow inside that club that actually will not be here tomorrow. 
yeah. or the next day. So is that something that, you know, we, you know, we do address or you know, I know everybody's mourning right now. Is there a particular time that, you know, that should be brought up that, you know, now is time for us to join together because now we, everybody has lost a brother and sister? Um, you said there's someone else on the call. I'm sorry. Did you want me to answer? Uh, either one. I had already, Tracy, I had already addressed <laughs> it to a certain degree. So oh, definitely okay. take the floor on this, okay? People have been listening to me okay. talk for a while Hi, now. Hi, Claudia. So. I didn't know you. I didn't know you. <laughs> um, so here's, here's the thing that we have to be very careful about, and I've heard this from a lot of Latino people, is we have to make sure that as we, make, as we note that thing, that there were African Americans and, and Caucasians there, the vast majority were Latino. And many in the Latino mm-hmm. community have felt that the – that this incident has been whitewashed a little bit by the LGBT community, but also the mainstream. And the mainstream is also straightwashing it too. They're not really acknowledging mm-hmm. a lot of them are not, are not acknowledging LGBT, but, but definitely the LGBT community is feeling this pain as LGBT people, but they can't let that get in the way of Latino people honoring this as, as their crisis. And so that's, it's a careful navigation. I agree with you T that, um, this is an opportunity. I posted on my Facebook page today that I there was a tour outside of my house, and I let them in the house, and it was a bunch of older, mostly white women from uh, Milwaukee, and one of them, when she found out I was LGBT, came up, because um, <laughs> I'm always coming out. Um, she, she, she took my hand in both her hands and said to me, um, I am so sorry for Orlando. So here's this older, straight, white woman um, and many other straight white women on my Facebook page and messages did the same thing that are kind of old friends of my mother and other folks have said this. And so this is an opportunity for our LGBT community rainbow to bridge with the straight world through this event, because it makes us in the community of mourners for other large events that have targeted other people. But we as an white, for me as a white LGBT ally to Latinos, I have to make sure, and our paper has to make sure that we don't allow it to be whitewashed as a generic LGBTQ event. It was an LGBTQ event mostly targeting people of color and most of them Latino. So then we can bring the rainbow in and say, look, this, if this had happened at Sidetrack, if this had happened at Roscoe's, uh, different parts of our community would have been mourning. We can mourn as a whole community, and then we can allow space for parts of our community to mourn differently. Um, and I think that this is a pivot point in American history, um, different than 30-something years ago when a fire happened at a gay bar in New Orleans and the funeral parlors wouldn't bury the gay people oh, right. before AIDS. Right, they wouldn't right. bury them. The politicians looked the other way. N- nobody was arrested. Right. I mean, it was just horribly treated. This was entirely different. You know, you had nonstop coverage yeah. in the mainstream media. You had gay reporters like Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper making sure that yep. the LGBT angle wasn't shut. So we, this was a really turning point, kind of like when Matthew Shepard was murdered and Brandon Tina were murdered. Mm-hmm. These were pivot points, uh-huh. I think, in our external acceptance by society that we as a community can take advantage of. And the other thing I would say about that is it's a two-way street on that. And the first vigil I went to uh, the night of the shootings was in, in Boys Town. And that vigil was organized uh-huh. by a lesbian of color, Dawn Valenti, who it works yep. for uh, Chicago Survivors, which is a non-gender sexual orientation-specific organization 
founded by lesbian mothers who lost their son to gun violence, but now serving the whole Chicago community and families who lose their children to gun violence. This is a perfect opportunity for us to work with these families and these mainstream anti-violence organizations and show that the LGBT community does care both ways, not just when our own people are targeted. So I think there's lots of opportunities here for us to open this up and mm-hmm. um, learn from it and build alliances that are, can be much stronger because of it. We have a letter in this week's Windy City Times from a whole range, I think it's about 60 Latino later, leaders in Chicago, most of them straight, showing their alliance nice. and support of the Latino LGBT community. That would not have happened six months ago. Nope. So we can nope. do this. We can really use this as an opportunity, and um, it already has been uh, an opportunity that people yeah. have um, used in a positive way. So I'm going to actually ask you this because uh, I asked Claudia and we kind of talked about it earlier. Um, not only politicians, you know, not only our allies or even people who uh, may have been silent before but now are speaking out, were you shocked, taken aback, uh, or all of the above when the different churches Denominations of churches like the Catholic Church, the uh, some of the, the Muslim churches, some of the I mean, there are some churches that you would think, okay, they may come up, but you know, people in different communities that you would not probably even think get vigils, uh, churches opening their doors, you know, to have um, conversations. Did that kind of um, shock you a little bit? Uh, no, again, I think churches can use these kind of um, uh, issues, I think, as a way to move them forward. What I hated was the hypocritical churches and religious leaders that use this as an opportunity to bash gays or separate people, mm-hmm. um, and also ones that only did like a statement of horror but not really a sta- uh, did the work to bring uh, dialogue and change. So I loved that some of the political leaders stepped off the floor when the Democratic, I mean, when there was a congressional moment of silence. Um, We need Uh to stop having moments of silence if they are not followed by moments of action. And so these churches and mosques and synagogues and all these ones that might have issued a statement but didn't follow it with a chance for dialogue and action, they need to now step it up. Um, The Catholic Church uh, and its preachings and other churches um, that are the evangelical church and other ones, their houses are not pure either. So to target that this was some kind of Muslim thing is ridiculous. We know that there are radicals within yep. every kind of religion. And um, so the, 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 the non-Muslim organizations that, that stepped up and said something now need to do something. Exactly. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, Tracy's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, now, Question for you You have a staff That You know the, the, That are working The different angles Of of this Of the Orlando shootings Of the Chicago uh, LGBT community Of the, the, the different areas we just talked about and As a, uh, a Editor uh, Editor in chief What what is there anything special you're doing to make sure that your people are okay? Well, I probably should be doing more. Maybe I should consult with Claudia on that. Um, I <laughs> we can talk. 
Yeah, we could talk because I, you know, I don't know, and I know that journalists don't usually ask for help. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that they know how to do self care. Um, most of them are over 40. Um, we do have some <laughs> under 30 that are freelancers and other stuff, but um, so I have not checked in with them. Um, I definitely have told people, you know, don't do something that you don't want to do this weekend. Um, and haven't had any pushback at all. Um, so yeah, no, I haven't probably done what I should do. <laughs> well, and, and it wasn't the push on the spot, and the reason I say is because, like, okay, I work in the educational field, and I walked in, and there was a, a bear, uh, a rainbow bear, that was sitting up on a cube when I walked past, and I was like, hmm, because I know I'm the only gay person sitting up there on that floor that I know of. So I was like, what is it? And she was like, she said, I just wanted to say, you know, that I, I'm a supporter. She always have been, she said, and I thought that was uh, a hideous act and a cowardly act, you know, someone that just, just just didn't care. She said, so I just wanted to let you know that. And I was like, and it was funny because people were walking behind me, and then people started touching me on the shoulder. Yeah, you know, we, look, we're, we're going to wear rainbow, uh, rainbow suspenders uh, coming up toward Pride. And I was like, for real, y'all? I was like, okay, wow. you know, and then my boss came to me and she was like, you know, do you need, you know, a mental day or do you need a day to, you know, kind of cope? And um, and I was like, no, I said, I'm, I said, I, 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 I'm not afraid to tell you, I, I got a therapist. I said that I'm gonna talk to, so I said, I think everybody else needs to. I said because I can see right now it didn't just affect me, but it affected this whole floor. Because people walking up, you know, telling me, you know, I'm sorry about Orlando, and it's people who I don't even know their name, but I know their face. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that was your experience that people didn't feel shy to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it made me feel good too. I'm like, wow. I said, for real? Okay. So, but I know a lot of places where people are not out and people are talking about it. And I guess, Doc, I guess this would be for you too. If you know people were not openly out and are around people who are having conversations like this type of, you know, this type of trauma and talking negative about it. What, I don't know if it's inner, what inner mental distress would they possibly, would that possibly put on them? Well, that sounds like that's my question. So, um, I, you know, my, my, there has been much more positive response from the whole country in the world than there have been negative responses. And so my hope is, is that people that have had fear to come out can see that, wow, yeah, bad stuff happens, but look at, look at the general, general person is much more farther along in liking us for who we are uh, than they were, you know, like Tracy said, even six months ago, but let's say two years ago, you know, before marriage equality, um, I hope that they'll see that, and that will help them give give them some courage to go ahead if they feel like if they feel like they're being in a closet is constraining them. If they feel like it's making their lives smaller, I hope that this will help them be able to step over that threshold in some kind of way and see that okay, nothing bad's happening. Okay, okay, I feel better like this. You know, do it at their own pace. Um, you know, my the the negative responses have been so small that it kind of shows them to be the hate hateful folks to put it in one big category that they actually are. 
and that that's not right. the response of of the of the of the of the United States. Sure. So, I had mentioned, I had thought in my mind that one of the things I wanted to talk about it, and this just doesn't fit with what you're what you're talking about. Can you please let me know? With some basic, some three basic ways of of dealing with trauma that any any individual can do for themselves. Is that okay to talk about? That's perfect. Okay, good. The first thing is do things that nurture you. And that's going to be different for different folks. So, you know, for some folks, it may be spending time with their friends, going to vigils, uh, listening listening to beautiful music, painting something, um, getting in touch with their higher power if they have a higher power. Do whatever are the things that nurture you. Make sure you take time to do that on a daily basis for a while. There's two other ways to blow off to help heal yourself from trauma. One is an active way of kind of blowing the trauma out of your system, um, running, dancing, screaming into the L track, um, find, finding, you know, if you're a martial artist, go and get inspired with somebody, uh, doing the things that actively physically blow the, blow the stress out of your system. And um, that this, the third way is the way that people may know more, may, may know more about uh, calming acts, uh, meditation, relaxation techniques, massage. Um, since this is an, is an adult show, I can say make sure you have sex with somebody that is that you care about because uh, that, that <laughs> kind of does both of those ways. It helps you blow off steam and relaxes you. So uh, making sure that, because this has been a stressful thing for pretty much everybody in the LGBTQ community, of course much more stressful for some folks than others, but we, if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be around to continue to help our community thrive and grow and to, and to bring up our, our youngsters. Hmm. Nicely said. Hmm. Thanks. No problem. So was there any one thing that happened? Um, because, cause like you said, there's a lot of positive things that's been going on, even the media, you know, politicians. Was there any one thing that happened that you were like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what's going to bring us together. That is something that, that was needed to be said or something needed to be done that you saw. And that goes to Tracy and to you, uh, Claudia. You mean about, well, I was just talking to why she started. About Orlando, about the community, whichever one that that made that resonated more with you this week. I think being with the 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 fact that families, straight families of straight kids killed, um, as well as some LGBT, but it was the you know allies that showed up at some of these vigils, but especially the one on June tenth, twelfth, the night of. Um, I just was blown away by their um, empathy, their ability to be empathetic, um, and uh, sincerity of their wish to to work in alliance and um, end gun violence. Um, so I think to me that was the absolute highlight of the last two weeks of low lights that these families in Chicago who experienced an incredible amount of violence uh, in communities. Uh, across the south and southwest sides and west sides um, to that to show up and give space and time to the LGBT community that doesn't always 
always, doesn't always, but sometimes does do that back um, was incredible and uh, to me a sign of great hope. Yes. Yeah. I saw that. I think that was fantastic. And you know what was so was so nice about that picture is you end up seeing it in other places. Yeah. Because they showed a picture of uh, one community here in Chicago, and, and I'm going to say it's my show, uh, Beverly, where you saw families. You know, they were out there, you know, and, and I was out. That, that touched me. I was like, wow, for real? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you saw it in yes. other places. So I, the togetherness of families, and you saw families with, you know, the husband, the wife, the daughter, the son, the mother, the daughter, the son, the father, the son, the daughter, the son, the two men, the daughters, the son, the two women, the daughters, the son. and it was like everybody was together. They were families, not defining anything else but families. So I think that that was a good statement and a strong statement. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. No, of yeah, course, so like, that, it was your moment. You know, for me, I think the one, the first thing of healing that I saw that just blew me away was a. a a shot from above of all the people in Orlando that were at a mass vigil in Orlando. And I was like, wow, those aren't all queer folks. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of people there. And I was just blown away by the, by the Orlando community's response to, to this tragedy. Um, and then within our own community, people's responses. And like, like what I mentioned earlier, how many, how many people from the Illinois Psychological Association's listserv jumped right on when I put it on a listserv about what I was doing so the information, they were like, I'll do that too, I'll do that too, I'll do that too. And I was like, wow, this is, uh, you know, I came from a time period where, you know, a, a real, this was a, little, a while I'd, after I'd been out for a little while, but there was, there was a whole thing going on down in Florida and a, and a gay activist car was uh, blown up and the basic response was good. And, you know, fast forward to these years to now and the basic response isn't good. Um, it's, oh, my God, this is horrible. We have to come together. And, and that is very striking to me. I think we have, like you said, Tracy, we still have work to do. People have to be, um, now they have to stop doing the, the just the, well, I'm gonna make a two-line statement, but they have to put that hard work into uh, behind those words. So they have to put right. United in. Methodist Church, United Methodist Church had amazing responses, um, uh, both those that are reconciling and those that aren't. But a group of those churches came together in the Chicago region and said, "It's time to to end the talk and start accepting full marriage equality within the United Methodist Church," which delayed recently delayed an action on this. So um, there are some really bold clergy out there that are trying to make change within hundreds of years, hundreds of year old institutions that I really find heroic. I'm not religious at all myself, but I'm really inspired by the work of some of these folks that are working within mosques and churches and synagogues um, and other kinds of religious places to make change. And um, they're calling out that hypocrisy as well. Nice, nice. I I think, like you said earlier, there's a change on the horizon, <laughs> and I think it's kind of here. Unfortunately, the the incident that made it occur, um, 
was devastating. But there's always soldiers that end up, you know, that, lay, that end up losing their lives, you know, for for that cause. Um, yeah. And it's sad that you know, sad was 49 people. But they may have been those soldiers for the change that's coming. And, and I definitely commend all of them, you know, for those were young lives that they had a lot ahead of them because you, if you read a lot of the things they were doing, a lot of them were working with helping people. Yep. Yeah, a lot they were helping people. So, you know, we lose, you know, we lose the game. We, you know, we gain families. And now I think Claudia said that three degrees of separation, I think now we're looking at maybe two. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Fantastic. Well, ladies, we're going to go ahead and, um, you know, kind of close the show out. So before we go, let's do this. Um, Claudia, tell, say something to the listening audience that you want them to either do, remember, or feel. Or all three. Well, I think in many, in somewhat ways, I've covered that. So I'd like to talk about it in a slightly different way right now. Um, sure. You know, forty percent of the homeless youth on the street are LGBTQ, and and I work for DCFS, and DCFS is a big pipeline to that homelessness. And there's a lot of it. We've been working in many different ways to fix that. And I'm, on the other hand, I'm seeing more LGBTQ folks wanting to create families with children in them. Um, and so there's this event that's going to happen that's going to be uh, 10 agencies that have that work with DCFS children and also, of course, DCFS being there that's going that's that's working to get LGBTQ folks information about what's it like to adopt a child, what's it like to foster a child, how do you go about What's the concrete process of how you go about getting involved so that you, if there can be a child out there that needs help, can come into my home and I can love them and raise them and help them move ahead to be the wonderful people they can be. Um, so that event is is happening on um, July 9th, Saturday, July 9th. And I just want to encourage any of our listeners who have any interest at all in bringing some children into your life. They don't even have to be, I mean, of course, because this is where my love is, of course, I'd love it to be our LGBT, our rainbow kids within DCFS. But you know, it doesn't just have to be our rainbow kids; it can be any kids. Um, but what I'm hoping is that if you have any interest in becoming a parent, becoming a foster parent, that you might use this event as a way to start to gather information. So, if I could just say it's Saturday, July 9th, at 10 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's going to be at uh, 750 South Halstead Street, which is University of Illinois at Chicago Student Center. Um, I'll have it up on my Facebook page, maybe, if you, if you wouldn't mind, if I give a copy of the, the flyer to you. You can definitely one of the put it on our Facebook page. One of the ways of healing is is raising our young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we talked about earlier, they they definitely have a different way. They have a different way of dealing with things that you know we like this. We 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 weren't prepared for. We didn't have to do go through. I mean, we had our major events, but you know stuff like this. And like you said, Tracy, it it was kind of geared toward the young folks. 
Mm-hmm. That's all it was there. Right. So, yep. Tracy. What I want people Still to think of, well, I mean, uh, well, we have a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of content in our Pride issue that came out today, so you can get that on WindyCityTimes.com. You can download mm-hmm. the PDF. There's a link on the top right. It has all of the 30 under 30 honorees, and it also has a special layout that um, Teresa and Mercedes Volpe Santos did of the 49 victims. We're going to have all those printed out as large. We already have them printed out as large size posters, and um, the Pride mm-hmm. Committee has given us permission to have 49 people march behind the lead banner of the Pride Parade this Sunday. So we're pushing for Latino LGBT people to show up at 11 a.m. at the media check-in to get signs to carry in the parade on Sunday um, as a tribute. So um, that's an action people um, can do. Um, I think the media is kind of looking for ways that the community is is responding, and and this was one way that Chicago Pride and I um, agreed to, to work on together and raise the money to do. So... That's something, and then in the paper it has lots and lots of other information on vigils and other responses. Um, I think uh, what's most important, as Claudia said, is you know we need to do more to lift up those that are alive with us in Chicago that need help, whether those are youth or seniors or anybody in between. Um, so maybe this will be a way that more people get involved and realize that marriage was not the end. Um, it was uh, a end to some issues, but there are hundreds of more issues that we as a community need to deal with, and many of those are much more complex because they intersect with racism and classism and all sorts of other things that some parts of our community are just not as well versed on. So we need to up our game as an LGBT community as we are asking the mainstream community to up their game. Yep, because we can't ask them to treat us better than we treat each other. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I want to thank you, too, for joining me, Tracy. We know you had a big day and, and you know, the event tonight. I know it was successful because I want to read, I'm going to read the paper. I started reading it earlier, so I'm going to go ahead and finish reading it. <laughs> and thank you again for joining. Uh, Can we talk for real? Because I definitely know when, when it's different topics and subjects that, uh, that are out there, I know I can call you because you, you you might have a little more insight than other people do, which is good. So I thank you for that. Claudia, for welcome me. to the Can We Talk For Real family. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for uh, joining the Can We Talk For Real family because now you are a part of the family. So oh, we will cool. definitely be calling good. on you again also. <laughs> okay. Thank so you for giving me the opportunity to talk and making it making no it you, you make it easy. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I definitely want to say to everyone, this was a conversation that definitely had to be had. And um, hopefully if you weren't able to listen in all the way, you're able to go ahead and listen to the archive. Two fantastic women who um, are in the community, work in the community. And if you see them on the street, make sure you say hello uh, and join in on the battle um, that's being plagued out here because, you know, like I said, this is only a stepping stone. This is this is greatness. It's something that could lead to something that we can all come to a happy medium. We we don't know when it'll happen. We don't know when if we'll see it, but at least we know we'll be a part of it because we're being a part of it right now. So like Tracy said, we need to lift up, and like Claudia said, we need to lift up the folks that are with us. You know, um, you know, smile at folks. You know, if they need a hug, hug them. If they need to just a how you doing, don't be shy. Say how you doing. That might make someone a day. 
Mm-hmm. With that, I want to say thank you, ladies, and I'll see everybody out in pride. That's right. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Uh, good night. Have a good one. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 